0: Welcome to the Love on the Go podcast, brought to you by Carolina's Matchmaker. I'm Lori Berzak, and for over 17 years, I've been helping singles find the relationship of their dreams all over the Carolinas. Along the journey, I've met so many amazing professionals and experts from various fields, and I'm excited to introduce them to you. What's my goal? I want to help you look at love and relationships in a new way and to grow in your understanding of how love works. Let's learn together how people have overcome personal obstacles and have found love, first and foremost, with themselves. The ultimate goal is realizing that you are worthy and deserving of love. Let's get started. Wow. I am thrilled to invite Dawn Wiggins onto the podcast today. Welcome, Dawn. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Dawn is a marriage and family therapist, and she's been in private practice for about 15 years now. And her focus is on integrative health, mind, body, spirit. Um, She's trained in multiple modalities from EMDR to EFT tapping. We'll get into all of that. Hmm. I am thrilled to have you today.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I know we connected on Instagram last uh-huh. year, just around the world of divorce recovery and dating yep. after divorce and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I was uh-huh. so excited to connect with you. Um, we had this juicy little quick conversation on the phone, yeah, right? About We did. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're you, you and I definitely sink in for sure on a lot of different levels. And yeah. I love the fact that you're focusing on divorce because so many people can be helped. Um tell me, like, how did you get into the divorce space?
1: Yeah. So I decided I wanted to be a therapist in the sixth grade when my parents started going to couples counseling and it failed miserably, right? So they're two humans that had a lot of their own woundings and I clearly got traumatized by a lot of their stuff. And so I made this early, probably very codependent decision (laughs) that I was going (laughs) to save all the children. Right. Right. And, um, and then down the road, fast forward a bit, you know, I go to grad school, all the things, and I got married, um, and I promised myself I wouldn't get divorced. And I think that what is so key about that is that so many of us did that. We thought we could think our way out of breaking a cycle right Mm -hmm. out of a certain outcome and what I learned the hard way as a therapist as a trained marriage and family therapist that you can't think your way out of breaking a cycle of divorce or trauma in a family system right you have to really heal your way out of it and Mm. so I ended up getting divorced when I was 30 and it's really how long were you
0: married for
1: Mm, eight years
0: any kids
1: no kids during that yeah. okay thank god no good okay. and which was actually probably part of what led to the divorce but because okay. at the time I had been diagnosed infertile um okay. and so that's really what sparked that was my catalyst for like digging deep into healing all of the traumas the historical stuff right mm-hmm. and so i just have become so passionate about that being a, a place for people to really look within to, to deal with the stuff.
0: Mm. And I
1: think that um, what keeps me inspired about it is that as I continued to deepen my clinical skills, I came to understand that most people, if not all, who are getting divorced have the underpinnings of, for instance, attachment trauma and/or other mental health issues that mm. if you don't address, they're not gonna go away. And so I just started connecting all those dots and realizing like this is a really powerful moment in people's lives to make a difference. It was Hmm. for me.
0: Wow. So people that don't have trauma and that haven't had divorce in their family, in terms of the cycling of it all, they have a greater chance of surviving a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 Wow. And, that's know, a negative way of looking at it. Uh, um, I having know a, S- having a successful, successful. Marriage. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's and it doesn't always saying. have okay. to be
1: big T trauma. It's, you know, mm-hmm. I have a newer client. So interesting. Who's young, right? Like probably mm-hmm. about 30 and no kids. So similar story to mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, when we got in there with EMDR, it was fascinating because the sub- EMDR is subconscious work, right? So it reveals everything that the
0: conscious mind didn't realize was there. Explain what that is for people that may not know.
1: Okay. So EMDR is, let's call it an experiential um treatment um, that gets into the somatic healing. It gets into the, gets into the body, gets into the subconscious mind Mm -hmm. and helps reveal the things that, that um, are like the subconscious programs we've been running our life according to, right? Cause we think we're we're running our own lives from our conscious mind and we're really not. (laughs) So EMDR stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. The title is like cumbersome and it really doesn't tell us what it does, but What we do with EMDR is we go in and we activate some painful memory, Mm -hmm. and then we add bilateral stimulation, which according to the title was eye movement, like like in REM sleep, like you know, moving your eyes back and forth. But I use tapping. You can use any kind of bilateral stimulation and Mm -hmm. it activates the subconscious mind in a way that, and then, and then you free associate. And then the subconscious mind says, oh, and then this is the next stop on that train. And then this is the next stop on that train. And it desensitizes and reprocesses all the life experiences that have been reinforcing the negative belief that's been causing you to make certain decisions, be attracted to certain people and react in certain ways. It's really very fascinating. So I'm working with this new client and she has two, what I would call small T traumas, but they drove who she became attracted to and how she did marriage with them. One was she got benched through her entire um, grade school, middle school, high school volleyball career and felt mm. not enough and not worth it. Mm. And then her parents like adopted an adolescent when she was in high school and refocused all of their attention on the new young girl that they adopted. And so she felt not good enough and not worth it. Mm. These weren't major horrible events that happened to her, but they got into her subconscious mind as negative beliefs. And she attracted a partner who treated her as such that Mm. she wasn't, wasn't worth it.
0: Interesting. So the work that you're doing with her, is that going to help it's not going it to help will, with the current partnership, obviously. No, or maybe, she's going to you know. have to let that one okay. go because okay. he's
1: choosing not to do the healing work, right? Work. And he's, okay. yeah. And so, um, but she is automatically guaranteed to attract a different type of partner now.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, when you're doing the actual tapping, does mm-hmm. the client need to think about the trauma? And basically, what you're doing is you're creating new brain pathways. synapses, pathways.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, okay. yeah. So they need to free associate. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's, it's more client led than therapist led, right? The old way of doing therapy is like, well, I have an opinion about how you've been doing that. Right. But the subconscious mind and the free association model really allows the client's higher self and and those patterns to just surface on their own. And so we, I really get in there to figure out what is the negative belief that, that the person has tied to these series of events. And then we go back and we say, okay, how would you prefer to believe about yourself? Mm-hmm. And then we reinforce a positive belief. Like I am worth it. I am free to be myself. I, these were, you know, we really get a good, juicy, positive belief. And we go back and rethink about those events with the new positive belief and it reframes it all. And then the, and that new positive belief becomes internalized instead of the old one and boom, Bob's your uncle. Did I answer your question?
0: Yeah, no, I think that was a great answer to my question. And especially because a lot of, listen, a lot of people don't understand this and it's, it is, you know, a little new agey, um, in, in, in a sense, you know, people, you know, it's not common. It sounds too good to be true.
1: Right. It's not common (laughs) knowledge. It sounds too good to be true. I think that I have found with all, a lot of this stuff that feels new agey, um, I have this book on my shelf over here. Why Woo Woo Works. It's because mm-hmm. we weren't taught the underpinnings, the scientific underpinnings of a lot of these things, but they're there. We, they're just not, like you said, common knowledge.
0: Yeah. So this is good. i um, bringing light to it all. Yeah. So you have said before that couples go to marriage counseling way too late. Mm-hmm. When do you recommend that people start marriage counseling? Mm, dating.
1: <laughs> you know i mean and and maybe that's not always possible right but um you know the first hint that a problem has become chronic
0: mm-hmm.
1: right meaning we've fought about the same thing more than 3 times <laughs> once something is chronic it means that there is something going on under the surface that you're you don't know on your own necessarily how to resolve and mm-hmm. so it's only going to get worse from there. So, right. right, fighting is a healthy part of coupling. Like that's normal and so we don't need to go to couples counseling or marriage counseling because we're fighting. That's that's not the issue necessarily, but it's when something when a symptom becomes chronic that mm-hmm. it needs attention. And the sooner the better because we know if you ignore chronic symptoms what happens. They're fatal whether it's for the relationship or the person, right? Yes. So,
0: you have you counseled people in their first year of dating?
1: no, because people don't, well, that's not true. To, so in second marriages, I think mm. that people do a much better job of coming in. Yes. When they're dating in first marriages, rarely, um, okay. like maybe a handful of people in the course of my career. Right. But I think on the whole couples don't have that thought. We are just, we think we can handle it. We can think we can think our way out of it just like mm. I did with the breaking the cycle of divorce.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. So second marriages, as everyone knows, have, and third marriages have a much higher likelihood of Mm. of failing than first Mm -hmm. marriages do. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is?
1: The data is super clear. It's because uh, exactly what my client that I just was talking about with the volleyball, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Had she not done this work, she Mm -hmm. would have attracted another partner from the same subconscious patterns and um and would have without even knowing it ended up in a very similar type of relationship and so anyone who doesn't do that subconscious work on some level is going to end up coupled again thinking they did it differently cuz because we use some checklist right and we we said okay this person feels very different than the old person mm mm-hmm. Um, And then in second and third marriages, typically there are less things holding us in there like there are in our a first marriage, for instance, where you maybe have kids together, or you have mm-hmm. built an economy, right, like a household economy together. And typically, in second and third marriages, we go in a little more, slightly more guarded, and we maybe mm-hmm. have a plan financially for if it goes wrong, you know. And so it just becomes easier and easier to say, "Screw this." in second and third marriages, so you have the existing subconscious relationship pattern that ends up just manifesting all over again. And then you have that it just is easier to let go when you have when you don't have these. Kind of items that serve as glue, like children or finances or whatnot.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, I've worked with a lot of clients who have been married multiple times, two and sometimes three times. And they tell me that their second marriage, they chose somebody who was like the opposite of their first Mm -hmm. marriage. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily the person that people are choosing. It's the fact that they haven't dealt with their trauma and all the stuff in their subconscious. But so it's not necessarily attributes and it's not, um, interests and even finances. It's more like patterns of communicating, um, how to deal with conflict, right. That kind of thing. Yes.
1: Attachment styles. Yes. And so if we want to take it to the super woo woo place, right. I love studying law of attraction, uh, you know, Abraham Hicks and what, you know, you know, manifestation, all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so There's a lot of science that underpins law of attraction as well, right? That we are all vibrational creatures and we all are functioning at a certain vibrational level and vibrations can be um, interpreted by us through our emotions. And when we have a lot of emotional baggage that we've dissociated our conscious mind from, right? We just boxed it up and put it on a shelf. We don't want to deal with it, but it's Mm -hmm. in our bodies stored Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, low vibe stuff that's stored mm-hmm. in our bodies. We know that from um, some of the great healers or doctors like Bessel van der Kork or uh, Gubbo or Mate, who have taught us that this stuff does get hung up in the soma, in the body. And mm-hmm. so, if we just look at it from a law of attraction standpoint, we have a certain vibrational spot that we function around and in, and then we attract people with a similar matching vibration. Mm-hmm. And so, we think we're so clever with how we choose things. right? And when we look at who we are as humans, right, we have a vibrational core, and then we have a body, a meat suit, right, that has that vibration going on. And then mm-hmm. we have our emotional mind, body, and then we have our mind, our mental status. And We spend so much time in this very outside layer of what the mind says, but the mind can be convinced of anything. Mm -hmm. So if we're not like going all the way to the core and looking at vibrationally or in the body or in our emotional body, and then lastly, our mind, we're missing
0: a lot of the mark. That makes sense. Now, what about the people that choose a safe partner for their first marriage because they've had trauma in their lives and they're being very intentional about finding somebody who's very secure and is, um, stable, Mm -hmm. but then during the marriage, they're attracted to people who are, who they basically trauma bond with and who like basically trying to work out their issues. Cause you can't, at some point you got to work out your issues or Mm -hmm. you're, you're just going to get sick
1: Mm -hmm. essentially.
0: Mm -hmm. So then they try to work out their issues in the secure marriage and sort of go astray is that kind of when people start having affairs, that type of thing? Because I've heard that from people as well.
1: I think you nailed it. You nailed okay. it, right? And yeah. um, and I have worked with a lot of couples who have had affairs with a lot of great success. And the reason that I think I, in particular, have been successful in treating those types of couples is because mm. I have started using EMDR and couples therapy. And that's not common, right? Like, that's not something I've heard of very many if any other places. So so okay. when you can go in there and you can because because an affair is very traumatic. It's such a betrayal, right? And it and mm-hmm. and then rebuilding that trust is so hard and and that ends up being the demise of the marriage. I just can't ever trust you again. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly reacting and I can't forgive you and and all of this, right? And then you have the person who maybe was acting out in the first place and and that stuff that needs to be resolved, right? Those underlying Issues need to be resolved to otherwise it's just going to happen over again. Um, and so if you've got two people, even if even if they've had that painful story and they're both Mm -hmm. willing to resolve those underlying things, there is hope, which is cool.
0: From what I've heard and experienced Mm -hmm. as a professional matchmaker, people it's just so hard for people to let go of Mm -hmm. their hurt and their trauma from having. Mm -hmm. Their mm-hmm. partner cheated on mm-hmm. you know ha- having been cheated on mm-hmm. by their partner mm-hmm. so there is hope you've seen people get through it and successfully to the other side mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. yeah yeah
1: and the reason it's so hard to let go is because the way that trauma gets encoded in memory so mm. so a painful traumatic experience that causes a an energy disturbance it freezes that moment in time in the mind in the brain, right? So Mm -hmm. that your mind in essence, on some level, doesn't let you forget it, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it does it as a protection so that you don't suffer the same thing over again, right? And so whether you push it down or shove it aside, or if you've even forgotten, right? For like, let's say early childhood things, you can, you can forget about traumas, but on some level in the body, how you react to things, how you Communicate with people, right? Is driven by those little snapshots in time where the mind feels like what happened then is happening now, mm. and so even though an event is over and it's technically no longer a threat, it the mind is really elegantly designed to protect us, mm. and so it keeps us hyper vigilant on high alert, right? And um, and that's why it's because the mind is so invested in our survival and so anything that we perceive is going to threaten that survival and i think for women there's an interesting nuance there just in terms of um i don't want to rail on this but like a patriarchal world that we've historically lived in right where our survival has historically been linked to having a partner to protect us and provide financially and whatnot and that's evolving obviously but um So, I think for women, especially not that men are the only ones that cheat, because you and I both know that that is not true. (laughs) Correct. It's not true. No. At all. Uh -uh. Yeah. So, so so EMDR allows the mind to say, oh, now is not then. Now is now. And I can let that thing go. And I can, yeah, it's very cool.
0: Do you think that the reaction of somebody who has been cheated on and the way that they start behaving, if they don't get the, if they don't do the work around it, still creates that chasm between in the marriage whereby the the partner who cheated might cheat again because there's still not there's still the disconnect what, what do you think that that a partner is more likely to cheat again if the person they cheated on has not forgiven them that's such a good question
1: everything exists on a spectrum right and when it comes to cheating There are those who are chronic cheaters, right? Like, that's just, I don't want to say it's baked into them, but on a certain level, I would say. As I've been integrating homeopathy and understanding genetics and how to shift even genetic patterns we've been born with using homeopathic remedies. That's been my new thing this year. Um, right. But there are certain people who are genetically predisposed, psychologically predisposed, and then they've had whatever experiences they've had in life that have reinforced that to be chronic cheaters. Okay. Right. We could call that addiction on a certain level. Okay. So let's put that aside, right? Like okay. so those folks and I wish that people understood better how to discern between someone who is that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and someone who you know got lost and and had some underlying stuff and didn't didn't go to couples counseling soon enough and didn't know how to do conflict resolution and didn't know how to do intimacy and and you know they got lost, right? So if we're talking about that second group right where it's like we should have handled this earlier we didn't it led to this you know but we have kids and we built a thing and we love this and whatever right right yes both members of that relationship have to do forgiveness work both because the one who got lost i guarantee you has resentments also and so forgiveness is an essential part of putting a marriage back together from infidelity but forgiveness is elusive to most people. They, It's mm-hmm. very, very, very hard for people to figure out how to get to that place of true peace, like to have truly let something go. And I think that what's beautiful about this conversation is forgiveness really comes as a result of us feeling empowered as people, have, really being tapped into our divine personal power. Mm-hmm. And what that has to do with our current state of, life is really what was illustrated for us in the Barbie movie, Mm. for instance, about our fullest expression of self, really just embodying who we are as individuals, not constantly trying to fit in with everybody else, learning to feel Mm. comfortable in our who-ness and our how-ness. And and in order to really embody personal power in that way, like our divinely given personal power, Mm -hmm. that really requires not living in a social media culture. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. not so easily influenced by people we are comparing ourselves to that we want to be just like them and and um, not being so obsessed with how we look, but being far more invested in how we feel and how we live.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so what, what I'm describing here is really interestingly the path to forgiveness because forgiveness is hard because we feel like we have to, like we're going to get taken advantage of again, or we're going to get hurt again, or we're not strong enough to withstand something or to stand up to something. We're not strong enough to set boundaries or ask for what we need or demand what we need, or we're not strong enough to be vulnerable to call the therapist and ask for help. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: it's interesting that the path to forgiveness is really empowerment, personal power. And we get to personal power through vulnerability, through boundaries, t- through self-expression, through, mm-hmm. right? Like leaning into ourselves. Yeah, It's all connected.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of men in, in heterosexual relationships um, are not interested in going to therapy. You would be surprised.
1: I would, I don't have the data to back this up. So I only have like anecdata, right? Like anecdotal stuff. More yeah. men call me than women. Oh, and it's really? typically be- it's typically because and maybe that's just me, right? I, so I can't tell you what every therapist experiences, but um, I think a lot of times women are so fed up at that point, you know. And we are oriented towards th- the healing culture, right? Like it's we're inundated with cues to heal, and men are not not as much. And mm. so I think oftentimes women say, "Well, fine, if you're willing to do the footwork to find the therapist, then I'll go." So okay. I get a lot of calls from men, and I would say that my caseload is probably maybe even 50% male. Oh, wow. I, in my experience, there are a lot of men and this probably is regionally based as well, right? My practice is predominantly in South Florida. Uh, You know, I have clients all over the world, literally. But um, I think that in certain regions, men are very empowered to go to therapy. I think that's changing.
0: Okay, good. Excellent. And because I, from what I've understood, women get to a point where they have processed so much, That by the Mm -hmm. time they finally summon up the courage to handle the conflict, to have the conversations with their, with their husbands, they're like already three steps out the door. Yes. Like they're done. And it's hard to kind of recoup and recapture.
1: Yes, and I right? in yes, I interviewed yeah. on my podcast uh, early this year, G.S. Mm-hmm. Youngblood, who who authored the book "The Masculine in Relationship," and that okay. conversation to me is fresh and new. And I started integrating that into my practice. Let me explain. Yeah. G.S. Youngblood talks about how there is a lack of true masculine leadership in the world, but especially in marriages, mm. and that men tend to toggle between toxic masculinity, aka control abuse, or passivity. And and both of those ways of being masculine or not cause women to not be able to relax into their feminine, their natural femininity, Mm -hmm. and causes women to either do toxic feminine, which is nagging and the shrew, or toxic masculine, which is boss babe shit. Until men- can step into a true masculine leadership role we're going to have the dynamic that you just described right because the woman Mm -hmm. who's already processed so much she's already spent so much time doing shrewish nagging stuff and like then she's like well screw it i'm gonna boss babe the whole thing right and i'm just gonna get better and i'm just gonna go recreate my life i've also heard jordan peterson talk about this um where he says that women are the primary initiators of divorce and then end up in a post-divorce life, less resourced because we have oftentimes dependent children and lesser salaries and all those things. Um, But but because of this dynamic, I think, this real unhappiness, unhappiness with the current dynamic with Mm -hmm. a lack of masculine leadership, this is where we are.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate. And it's also the reason why I tell women, please don't give up your careers. Right. And you don't want to be in a situation where you're dependent on somebody and you're in an unhealthy relationship and you cannot get out. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you've stayed home with Mm -hmm. the kids, this Mm -hmm. whole like stay at home mommy thing. Mm -hmm. I just think it's a horrible idea you lose mm-hmm. all of your, and I'm sorry to people that are listening to this that dis- disagree with me. Um, it's the best thing in the world that you can do for your kids for sure is to stay home with them and, and give them all of your dedication. But in terms of a marriage, I think that it creates such an imbalance of power. So always keep something in your back pocket, even if it's just a part-time, something that you can get into full-time once the kids are out of elementary school or whatnot. Is mm. my best advice to women, especially young women I don't well, think I, that we need to be depending on men for our finances.
1: Right. right. And a you dangerous said, place to be. It is a dangerous place to be. You yep. said something key there about stay at home momming and pouring everything into your kids. I don't think that was supposed to be the design, you know, mm-hmm. stay at home momming, even if you look back through history, which is no longer applicable because we've evolved so far, but, um, you know, we had community and we, we built our communities and we, we taught and we baked and we quilted and we, right. We had skills. Um, right. So, so stay at home momming was never meant to be skillless or Mm -mm. without other contributions. And, um, and so I do think that, um, you know, in our process of evolving, uh, you know, we've, not integrated all the things yet. We're in the process of integrating how to, right, be good moms, but also be good to ourselves and, and to retain our personal power.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that. Is self care versus self love, and what does that look like?
1: Mm, I just have been talking about this this year as well. Yeah. So self care, um, self care is I think a lot easier for people, though not easy, right? Um, self care is like. You know, you're going to get enough sleep and you're going to drink enough water and you're going to need enough healthy foods and you're going to, you know, set some decent healthy boundaries and you're going to take a break when you need to, you're going to pee when you need to pee and eat when you need to eat. We're we're not good at even doing those basic things, right? (laughs) Self-love is at the end of the day, if I was sitting in a room by myself and I didn't have kids and I didn't have a husband and I didn't have a career that I could still feel good about myself, that I could still Mm -hmm. know who I am and appreciate her at the most core basic level without titles and accomplishments and labels. Self-love is a sense of peace. It's a sense of security within myself. And I think that that is like people doubt that it even exists. You know, I wish that wasn't the case, but like I think that um, a lot of people feel that it's unattainable. How's that? It feels unattainable to so many people.
0: Let's talk about, How do we heal from divorce?
1: Healing from divorce is a process of accepting that this divorce is working perfectly in your favor if you use it as the catalyst. And I know all divorce coaches, I think, say this. It's like, oh, gosh, it's a dime a dozen. I've heard this, right? But that this divorce is a catalyst for you to meet yourself and then to be on the journey of really getting to know yourself as deeply as you would want or deeper than you would want to get to know a potential partner. And it's from really that place that all of the discovery that is necessary healing from divorce happens, right? And so there are a lot of things along the way that we need to heal from divorce. We need to look at our attachment style. We need to be able to rebuild trust. We need to be able to master vulnerability. We need to, you know, have a have a vocabulary around boundaries, all that, all those buzzwords we hear people say, right? And um, we need to practice them. But I think that at the core of all of that is getting to know ourselves really, really well, and then practicing self-acceptance. And then from there, right, tapping into our intuition and learning to follow that rather than so many other things. And um, I think that I'm sure you've heard this, Lori, that so many people say, I had an intuition not Mm. to marry this person. I had an intuition and I ignored it. And so how we heal from divorce is reacquainting ourselves with that intuition and then marrying that first. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And when do you think it's a good time to start dating again after divorce?
1: Oh gosh, I love this. And my answer has changed so much over the years, I think. Um, But I really think that you know, we need to not date until we've done a certain level of the subconscious work. Like it doesn't have to be all of it, but a chunk of it, like a good chunk of it. Cause otherwise you're going to subconsciously law of attraction style, right? Like attract somebody else. So I would recommend at least working with it, working on the subconscious piece, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be perfect Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because then dating is going to show you the rest of the subconscious stuff that needs to be addressed. Because we practice in dating, we get triggered in dating, We right? Like all the stuff that needs to be kind of cleaned up and worked out happens in dating. So I think dating is like a wonderful spot to continue our healing journey um, as long as you're not someone who catches feelings like right out of the gate and then can't extricate yourself from even a bad mm-hmm. dating relationship, right? Those people- the anxious attachers, I am a recovering one, uh, need to pump the brakes probably a little longer than someone who can date without getting attached right away.
0: Okay. Oh, that's such a great answer. So what are, say, two or three things that you would recommend to people to kind of help that self-love flourish?
1: So I think the first thing that I would say to anyone is that self is to first just get Get it in you that self-love is our purpose, right? Like at, at our most basic level, like do we all have a, a God-given purpose? Like just skills that we were gifted with that we're here to share with the world? Like, yes. But but at the most basic level, especially when we think of how chaotic the world is today, right? Self-love mm-hmm. is really our calling, like everyone's basic calling. And mm-hmm. so that's the first thing that I just want people to like keep in mind is if you can, in your list of goals that you want to accomplish, you know, in your five, 10, 20 year life plan, can you keep self love on the list? Right. Cause, cause that's it. It's not something that happens overnight. It is, it happens layer by layer by layer. But if you can keep in touch with that, loving yourself well and self acceptance really is our core purpose. And you can stay on that path like you're already winning right there. Yeah. Right. And then, and then just kind of the other thing I would ask people to notice is in pursuit of self-love, is how often someone, sometimes even ourselves included, Lori, are trying to sell them something that they don't necessarily need Mm -hmm. to solve a problem that they don't necessarily have. And that could be anything from pharmaceuticals to Botox to I don't know what, right? Like whatever widget is now popular that someone is going to convince us that we need when really what we need more than anything is self-acceptance. And I think that when we look at, uh, I was reading an article this week about 14-year-old girls and their skincare routine, like that breaks my heart because Mm. without self-acceptance, we are missing- (laughs) the real true richness that life has to offer and mental wellness, you know? A lack of self-acceptance will create anxiety. It will create depression. It will create a predisposition to traumas. Um, And so when, and and a lack of self-acceptance is a separation from our personal power, right? It disempowers us to not accept ourselves fully and well. So, you know, just to keep it on your goals list, to keep moving in the direction and to notice when someone is trying to sell you something that you don't necessarily need, but you think you do because Mm. they're talking you out of self-love right then and there.
0: Mm. I love that. Wonderful. I mean, you and I could talk all day, but unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) we have to stop chatting at this point. Um, it was so, so great to have you tell, tell our, our listeners, um, how can they find you on social? Yeah.
1: Okay. So, uh, my website is mycoachdawn.com. I have a podcast Dear Divorce Diary, where we dive deep into all of the nuanced aspects of healing the subconscious mind and finding self-love and self-acceptance. Um, so, you know, if you feel like you've gotten kind of stuck in your healing spot, definitely check out Dear Divorce Diary. I'm on Instagram at Dawn Wiggins, and I'd love to chat with you there.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking Thanks to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Love on the Go. I hope you join us on our next episode. You can make sure to know when it is by following us wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed it, it'd be great if you left us a review. I'd appreciate it. In the meantime, to learn more about me and how my team can help you, visit carolinasmatchmaker.com. Until next time.